Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. Is everybody here very first time ever coming to Outreach Church? No, we're not going to ask anything weird of you. Yeah, it's, everyone always does that every time. I, you're always like, and their friends like pushing their arm up or something. It's okay, I promise. We're not going to do anything weird or call you up here or anything like that. We're just glad that you're here. We wanted to just say thank you for coming and, and spending time with us and worshiping with us. Um, we really we really enjoy when people come because we we feel like you bring something here to the church rather than coming here just to receive. We don't go through life just like baby birds with our mouths open hoping that someone feeds us someday. We really believe that everybody um, who is born again, filled with the Spirit of God, has gifts and talents and things inside of them. And when you come and you worship together with a body of believers, it's, it's as much for everyone else as it is for you. So we're thankful that you come and, and we're glad you're here. Um, if you brought your, your Bibles, open them up to John chapter 15. book of John, chapter 15. We're going to start up right up at the top. If you don't have your Bible, we will have it on the overhead, but like every week, challenge you guys, get a Bible, get one that you can read and understand and write in and highlight and mark up and keep record of, of what God teaches you through his word. And, um, so John chapter 15, this is Jesus. If you read the, la- the, the kind of the 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th chapters of John, you'll see it's, it's the final days of Jesus spending with his disciples and and it, as I read through it, it seems like a lot of times he was trying to make sure that everything that was really, really, really important, of course, everything he told them was important, but all the really, really important stuff that he just wanted to make sure that, listen, if they don't get anything else, they at least get this stuff. It seemed like he was really trying to teach them over the, over the final few days of his life. He talked a lot about the Holy Spirit coming and the power they would receive when the Holy Spirit came and lived inside of them. He talked about the Father's love for, him, for them and how much He loved them and how much the Father loved them the way that, he, that, that the Father loved Jesus and how they were in Him and all these things. And if, if we would read these chapters and realize that Jesus wasn't just speaking to the disciples that were alive that day that were hearing His voice, that He was really speaking to everybody who would also believe because He said that. He said, my prayer is not only for them but all who would believe their testimony. In other words, my prayer is not just for these people who are alive today that I'm praying for physically that are in front of me and that I'm teaching physically in front of me, but, but the ones who then will take their testimony and share it with other people. I'm praying for them as well. This is for them as well. And so you realize that Jesus was really speaking to and praying for all of us as well. And so if we read these chapters and read these verses with that in mind, it kind of takes on a different light in some ways. Um, because rather than it being something that we watch Jesus teach to others, it's something we hear and receive as Jesus teaches to us. And so as we read this, just keep in mind that. um, So John chapter 15, verse 1, says, I am the vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them, and they cast them in the fire, and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. God, I thank you for your word. I I thank you that we can speak and hear and receive the words of Jesus Christ to us. God, I thank you for faithful men that recorded this as the Holy Spirit inspired them for us. I thank you that we can, we can literally open a book and hear you speak. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you speak beyond the page into our hearts and our minds today. That you open our ears to hear, our minds to understand, and our hearts to receive everything that you have for us. That our lives would look more and more like Jesus Christ. That we would be transformed from glory to glory. That we would bear fruit. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Jesus is talking to them and he says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. And if you, he says, if every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruits, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Um, and he talks about abiding in him and he describes it as a branch and a vine. And we're going to talk more next week about what it is truly to actually abide, like what, what that involves and what's his responsibility, what's our responsibility. But the basic picture he wants to give us is this, is that you guys are, are part of me and you exist because of your connection to me. That the life that you live is because of your connection with me. And apart from that, you can't do anything. You can't take a branch from a vine and pick it off and put it on the ground and expect it to bear fruit. And in the same way, if your life becomes disconnected from me, expect that there will be no fruit that comes from, from your branch. And, and so if we picture it like this, that, that Jesus is, is firmly planted in the love of God because God is love, right? And so if Jesus is the vine, then what's flowing up through the vine is the love of God. And it flows up through the vine and into the branches. And as the love of God fills our lives, then we bear the fruit of love in our lives. Because the fruit is what? The fruit of the Spirit. And the Spirit is God. And God is love. So the fruit in our lives is the fruit of the Spirit or the fruit of love. It's actually what happens when love makes its way into our lives in places that were before dark and closed off and bitter and hurt and angry become overwhelmed, like we just sang, by the love of God. It changes things. Just like when when soil releases nutrients and when water gets pulled into the vine, it gets pulled into the roots and sucked up into the vine and then it disperses itself into the branches, it brings life into those branches and it causes those branches to produce fruit. The branch doesn't sit there hanging on the vine, squeezing as hard as it can and trying to produce fruit. It happens because of its connection to the vine. There's nothing the branch can do to make the fruit appear faster or slower besides stay connected to the vine. And so Jesus is explaining this. Like I said, we're going to talk a lot more about abiding. But there's two lines in here when we read this. A lot of times they could come across as kind of scary. In fact, I was talking to a couple of people in the worship team this morning when I told them what I was going to be speaking about. I read the verses, and one of them said, oh my gosh. And the other one said, it's kind of scary. <laughs> and so, uh, but, but it's kind of been like that. And as I've read these verses before, I've had that reaction in my life. It's been a little bit scary. It's been a little bit like, whoa, you know. Um, and so this, it's these verses here, and we're going to really take these apart today. Um, it says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. So this verse is kind of scary, right? Because it can cause us to think that, that we have to pr- prepare, produce fruit 
or we may be removed from the vine. And so a lot of times what this does is it makes people look at their lives and start examining themselves and saying, well, I don't know if I'm as patient as this person. I don't know if I'm as patient as that person. And and it can kind of scare us into thinking, I better start being more patient. I better start being more loving. I better start being, being, being. I better start doing. I better start this and I better start that. Otherwise, the next thing you know, I'm going to get taken off the vine and thrown away. Or... Or if we are producing fruit in our lives and we see that the fruit of the Spirit is being produced in our lives, then we're always kind of somewhat living in fear that here comes the scissors at any point. It's going to chop us and pruning hurts, right? I mean, animals, I mean, uh, plants don't really have feelings that we know of, but I mean, just imagine if you were to prune a human, right? It would hurt. You're cut back. You're reduced. It, it, it diminishes you. It hurts. It harms. And, and, and even though it's for the good, there's a time where it does hurt. And so reading these verses, it seems like here you have one of two choices. Either one, you're going to be taken from the vine and cast and discarded. Or if you already are producing some fruit, you're going to be cut down. And I want to talk about the, the pruning and then we'll talk about the casting off. But um, that word there that he uses for pruning, where he says, every branch, in, or, or every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit, is a Greek word. Um, it's Greek word number 2508, which is kathairo, which means to cleanse. And then by example, to prune. So this, this pruning that he's talking about here is not so much a taking something that's good, and something that's pure and something that's clean in your life and removing it so that you're hurting, suffering. And so some people will, will teach that, that, you know, well, he takes the good things from your life so that it forces you to run to him. And that's what God's pruning is, is he comes along and it might be good things and it might be godly things, but he wants you to be so dependent on him that he's just going to chop everything out of your life until you're just there laying exposed, destroyed, broken down, and ruined. And then you'll turn to him and then he can build you back up. But that's not what this kind of pruning is talking about at all. It's not talking about God coming along with the heavenly scissors and just slicing and dicing and cutting off the good and the bad and everything else and leaving you there naked, hurting, destroyed, close to death. And then maybe you'll turn to him and then maybe he can reproduce something in your life. He's talking about the cleansing. It's talking about purifying, making clean. So when you clean something, if you're going to clean your tile floors, you don't get out a jackhammer and chip up all the tile and throw them in the dumpster and say, see, I cleaned the tile floors because now the dirt's gone. Because you know what? You ruined the tile. You've destroyed everything in the process. That's not what God's doing to you in your life when he wants to prune you. What he wants to do is come along and see what is supposed to be there. So, and he knows exactly what's supposed to be there in your life. So he's the only one that is perfectly qualified to say what isn't supposed to be there. And so when he sees something that isn't supposed to be there, the way he cleanses or prunes us is he takes and he removes the thing that's not supposed to be there from our lives. He cuts the thing that is harmful, that's dirty, that's disastrous, that's hurting us, that's never supposed to be there in the first place. These years of dirt, the lies, the the guilt, the shame, the the condemnation, the the being told you're this and being told you're that, that everybody kind of gathers and you're, you're like this beautiful statue, but after a while there's so many layers of stuff and junk have collected on it that it's hard to even tell what the statue is. And people can come along and they can say, oh, it's because of this and oh, it's because of that. And some of them may be right, but the truth is the only one who knows exactly what the original is supposed to look like, exactly what's there that's not supposed to be there completely is the one who created the statue is the original artist, and God's the original artist that created each and every one of us. And so when he looks at you and he sees things that don't belong, 
That's when he comes and prunes. When you become born again, when you become a new creation in God, he comes and he strips off and he cleans off and he cleanses the layers of dirt, junk, stuff, habits, relationships, all these things that have collected that we've, we've kind of used and they've kind of masked and covered up who we really are. And some of them, they've been part of us for so long, it feels like who we really are. We start to become identified by them. And we've had some of these things in our lives for so long, we can't imagine ourselves without them. And that's when the pruning is painful. It's not painful because God's taking something that you need from your life. It's painful because you believe that you need what he's wanting to take. And you want to hold on to it. And you hear people say, oh, yeah, I've just been in a pruning season for a long time in my life. And, man, it hurts so bad, but I know eventually it will be good. But that's not what God wants for you. He doesn't want you to be miserable and have no joy, even through the pruning process, because the joy of the Lord is your strength. So even through the pruning, He doesn't want you to lay on the floor and feel like you've just been stripped naked and raw and bare and, and chopped down to nothing. Even while He's pruning you, He always intends for you to know who you truly are so that you can see who you're not, so that when He comes and wants to take things from you, rather than trying to hold on to them and rather than it being a painful and long and drawn out process, you actually want to give what He's wanting to take. The pruning process becomes painful when we try to hold on to the very things that he's wanting to take from us. And that's when it is long. And that's when it's drawn out. And that's when it hurts and it's painful and we argue and we wrestle with God. And that's not his desire. The whole reason he wants to prune you is so that you're better. So that you're more like him. So that you're more like the original that he created you to be. Because you were created in the image and in the likeness of God. Let us create man in our own image, and in the image of God, he created man. And then sin and the fall, insecurity. Remember the last few weeks ago, we talked about that, how you can become insecure with God, and, and we want to run and hide, or you, or you try to work your way back. And all these things, and religious theology comes along and tells you all these things and, and makes you believe something that you're not, and you start holding on to these things, you start believing these things, and pretty soon, after a while, you've had it for so long, it starts to become ingrown into you. And you ever had an ingrown toenail? Anybody? Yeah? It's actually, it, it, it's, it's not supposed to be there. It's not what you, part of how your body is designed to function, but it's been there for so long, it starts to ingrow and make its way in and find a permanent place there when you have to remove it. It's really, really, really painful. You know, an ingrown toenail can be stopped really fast without any pain if you understand that it's not supposed to be that way right when it starts. But the longer it's allowed to grow, the longer it's allowed to be there, the more deeply it goes in, the harder it is to get out, the more it hurts, the more painful, and the longer the process. That's how lies are in our lives. That's how unbelief is in our lives. That's how guilt and shame and condemnation it makes it so easy to believe when someone comes along and starts telling you that you're not holy, that you're unrighteous, that you're dirty, that you're filthy, because you feel like you're dirty and you're filthy. And so when someone comes along and tells you that, it's easy to agree with them. It sounds so humble. It's the worst form of pride there is because it exalts your opinion of yourself based on your own experience over what God says about you. And it sounds so humble to say, I'm just a dirty, filthy sinner, but it's the worst pride and arrogance that there is. Because God called you holy and righteous if you're born again. And it may sound good and it may look good in front of people and it may people think, wow, he's just so humble. But the truth of the matter is it's so prideful because it exalts my knowledge and my experience over what God says about me. 
we're not careful, these things will come and we'll receive them and we'll believe them and we'll start living our lives according to them. And, and then when God wants to prune us a lot of times, then it starts to hurt, right? See, Jesus, um, he explains how the pruning process is accomplished by God in the next line. If you just keep, there's so many things in the Word. If you just keep reading, don't stop there. Like, we know that God works all things to the good. Well, keep reading because there's a qualification there for those that love Him and are called according to His purpose. So to run around and just tell people who are living in a lifestyle of sin and reaping the reward of sin, the wages of sin, which is death, oh, don't worry, you know God works all things to the good. No, He's not working that thing for the good in their lives if they're living in rebellion to God and they're reaping the wages of sin. He's actually not. He's allowing that to happen in their lives as a result of the sin so that it will hurt, so that they will turn from it and actually run to Him. Keep reading. Well, you know, just resist God. I mean, resist the devil and he will flee. Read before that though. Submit yourselves unto God. Resist the devil and he will flee. And if you're not living a life submitted to God, you have no power to resist the devil. And so there's a reason why he's not fleeing when you tell him, you know, Satan, you get out of here. You have to go in Jesus' name. But you're living a life that's not submitted to God. And he looks at you and he says, I know who Jesus is, but who are you? Because the power and the authority to be able to resist the devil and have him flee comes from a life that's submitted to God. See, you have to read. We, we can't just take these things in little doses. I'm talking about two verses, but I want to read eight of them because there's, there's, there's context. I always want to tell you guys why Jesus is saying, where he's at, who he's talking to, why he's talking to. Go into the Greek, because sometimes you read it just like, you know, come to me all you who are laboring or heavy laden and you will find rest. Or I'll give you rest, you know. And then later he says you will find rest in the same verse. And those two words, if you read them in the English, look like the same word. But in the Greek, in the original language, they're two totally different words. One is one that you receive. The other is another that you find as you live. And so just... Just keep reading. Keep studying. And if it sounds like it's bad, keep reading. It gets better because God's good. That's what keeps me reading a lot of times is, God, I can't stop there because I know you're you're better than that. I know you're good. And if I was to stop there, I'd walk away discouraged. And I know that's not your will. And I know that's not what it is. So I keep on reading. So here Jesus says right after this, so the scary people will be cast out and and, and, uh, and people, that, even if you're producing fruit, you're just going to be pruned down and all this stuff. And Jesus looks at the disciples and he says, you are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Guess which word Jesus used there for clean? It's a Greek word. Katharos, which means clean, clear, and pure. Guess where the Greek word katharisos that was used just before that comes from? It comes from that very word. So Jesus says, everybody that produces fruit by the Father is cleansed, is made clean, is made pure. He looks at the disciples and he says, you guys have already been cleansed, clean, made pure because of the word which was spoken to you. The way that God prunes us, the way that he cleanses us, the way that he purifies us is through his word. It's not with a pair of scissors, although the word of God is, Hebrews tells us what? For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
So the word of God is able to slice and it separates things. It cuts things and it separates soul and spirit. In other words, it separates things which you are in your soul, your emotions, right? Things that your emotions tell you, your experience tells you, well, I feel this way, so I must be this way. And the word of God comes and says that that right there is your soul that has nothing to do with the spirit of God, which lives inside of you. So your circumstance or your feeling or your decision that you've made or your theology that you've based on what you've been through means nothing when the Word of God comes and says, here's the truth. And yeah, that hurts. And yeah, that stings. And yeah, that's painful because a lot of times we've attached a lot of our lives to things that we've experienced and we give a lot more credibility to what we've experienced than we do to what God's Word says in a lot of cases. And it stinks when someone comes along and says, and we'd give them our whole spiel and our whole reason why we're wounded, damaged, hurt, angry, irritable jerks. And we give them all the reasons and everybody else in the world says, oh man, I, 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 I understand. I'm, I'm glad I'm not you. I'd probably be worse than that. And somebody, instead of doing that, looks at us and says, what does that have to do with the Spirit of God that lives inside of you and the new life that you found in Christ? And, oh, that hurts. How dare they say that? If they knew what I knew, maybe they wouldn't say that. And if they've been through what I've been through, but maybe they've been through something worse and they've seen the goodness of God and they understand that you're allowing yourself to live so far below where God desires for you to. And the Word of God comes and it cuts and it separates. And so, so just like for an example, if, if you have like this orphan mentality or an orphan spirit, right, where you feel like, like you are just alone in this world and unlovable or unloved by God and you, you struggle a lot of times with jealousy or envy or you feel like if somebody else gets blessed, they got blessed at your expense, that God blessed them by taking from you or withholding from you to give to them. And you can't be happy and celebrate for other people when they get promotion or good things come into their lives or you're constantly critical and you're looking for the reason why was there something wrong with them so that I can feel better about me without understanding that just because there's something wrong with them doesn't mean that I have to point that out to feel better about myself. I can feel better about myself because of what God says about me and then I can see them based on what God says about them. And if you struggle with these things, right, God wants to prune that out of your lives. Why? Because that's taking up room in your life, in your thought process, and in your heart that He wants to make room for so that He can put something in there that's life-giving, that actually produces fruit. Because it is His desire that every Christian would produce fruit of love so that the world would taste and see that God is good. Okay? That's, that, that is the whole meaning of that verse, this taste and see that God is good, is that when we experience the goodness of God and we dwell in the goodness of God, it produces a harvest in us, and that's for the world to taste and see that God is good. So when they come in contact with you and you, you are producing the fruit of the Spirit in you, the Holy Spirit's producing fruit, and you're, you're loving, and you're gentle, and you're kind, and you're patient. And not just when you're at a birthday party surrounded by people that you love. Right. But when you're on the job, and things get stressful, and people are freaking out. When somebody offends you, and does something to purposely try to hurt you. Says something to you to try to offend you, and hurt you. And somebody does something dishonest to you, or something shady to you. Or all these things that normally people would recoil back, and they're... they're, they're their whole aim and their whole reaction normally would be to strike back, right? Because that's what hurting people do. They recoil back, they figure out a plan of attack, and then they strike back at the person who hurt them. And instead of that, you just stand there and love people and are gentle with people. And you talk to people and you tell them, it's okay, I forgive you, I love you. And I know that, I, I, you know what the truth of the matter is? is I, I fully understand that you intended to hurt me. That you wanted to offend me but I'm choosing not to let that happen because I love you more than that. When people experience something like that, it can only be explained 
by something other than what they're used to. And when you tell them, it's because of the love of God in me. It's because he's done so much for me. I've been so forgiven that how could I hold you by the neck and make you pay me $10 when he's already forgiven me the 10000 And you start explaining to them the love of God that set you free. People then taste and they actually see that God is good. It's one thing to tell them that God's good. It's a whole other thing to have the fruit of the Spirit producing in your life and actually have them be able to taste and see that He's good. And so the, so the Word of God comes, right? And, and God wants to, to remove that from you, that the orphan mentality or that, that, that spirit that says that, you know, he, he just, I know He loves them, but there's no way that He could really love me because I've done this. Or you feel like your relationship with God is based on what you've done or whether you're good or whether you're bad or all these things. And then the Word of God comes. And he says I'll, in John 14, 18, I'll not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. If Jesus is in the Father and we're in Him, where are we? In the Father. You can't be an orphan when your dwelling place is in the Father. Not only that, but Jesus told you I won't leave you as an orphan. I won't leave you cut off fending for yourselves. I won't leave you out here to try to have to earn and try to have to make something happen and go looking for something. I'll actually come to you. It says Matthew 23, 9, Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. How can you feel like an orphan when Jesus just told you that it's not even about your earthly father, that your real father is the one who's in heaven? How can you feel abandoned, unloved, unlovable when the God of the universe calls himself your father and calls you his child? See, that's how God wants to prune. It's by the Word. He told the disciples, you've already been pruned, cleansed. That same word there, the same Greek word. He says, this has already happened to you because of the Word that I spoke to you. In other words, you guys didn't understand how much God loved you. You didn't understand who you were. You didn't understand what it was to have a relationship with God. You were living like orphans. You were living in rebellion. You were living in all these lies. And, and you had shame and guilt and condemnation. And you had a bad temper. And, and, and you were prone to being mistrusting and all these things. But you've been cleansed of that by the word that I've spoken to you by the word which was given to you and the same way that happened to the disciples the same way he wants it to happen with us he doesn't desire to come with a butcher knife and cut you apart and leave you there hurting he intends to come with the word of God that speaks directly to the lie that you've believed in your life and destroys it and removes it from your life so that it makes room for something good God is never like Mark was just talking about God is never taking something from you to harm you it's always because he has something better and the thing he's taking from you is occupying space in your life that he wants to free up because he has something so much better he's always better I always tell people that when they're de- dealing with a breakup you know and they're well, particularly girls. I just love him so much. And I don't know if anyone will ever love me that way. And he's so perfect. (laughs) And I told them, well, then be happy because that's the least you're going to have. He's the least that you will end up with because you're either going to end up with him or someone better for you than him. So don't sit around crying, be excited and realize that this bar that you just set that's so amazing, this guy that is so awesome, that's so loving, that's so perfect, he's the least, he's the lowest point of standard in your life that God will allow for you. Because if it's not him, it will be someone better than him. So rather than being heartbroken, actually you can be excited. See, you're being pruned, but you can be joyful in the pruning. You don't have to lay on the floor and weep and cry if you understand God's love for you. 
if you understand how much He wants good things for you. That's why we have to be so firmly rooted and grounded in the belief that God loves us and that He's for us and not against us, that His plans are to prosper us and not to harm us. These are His words that He spoke. It shouldn't be hard for us to believe that, but for some reason, we say, yeah, but what about? Here's the point. Don't take God's words and add your butts to it. No comma, but... And then start explaining why what God said can't be true for you because of X. Just take X, throw it out, and realize that God's Word is true. Okay? And so maybe there were things that you did in your life that weren't according to God's will for your life. You know, He's already told you not to do it, but you went and did it. Now there's a consequence in your life. Well, the minute your heart is back towards Him like the prodigal son, now you can believe that God is now working all things for good for those that love Him and are called according to His purpose. Does that mean that because you broke the law and you have to go to court and you got born again in between breaking the law and having to go to court, when you walk in the court, God's going to tell the judge, let him go? Maybe. Maybe not. We don't determine whether God loves us based on whether we get off on a court date. Your worth and God's love for you was determined on a tree when His Son gave His life for you. Not whether a judge on earth showed mercy or not. But we do that so many times. We judge. Well, God must not love me because. Well, God must not really be that good because. Well, I'd like to believe that God is for me, not against me because. Well, I'd like to believe you that His plan for me is good and not to harm me, but to prosper me. But... And we start adding all these things and then we start adding everything to it and then we start looking for verses that could possibly back it up without taking what God said directly to us. I know the plans I have for you. Speaking to His children, the mystery revealed is that we are now grafted in. So everything He was speaking to those children of Israel, He was speaking over you and I when it comes to the desires that He has for them. I know the thoughts I think towards you. I know the plans I have for you. Plans for good not to harm you, to prosper you, to give you a hope. Don't put a comma and then a but and add your life experience here and try to negate what God said. Understand that things that you've experienced in your life, if they weren't fitting inside of those words, weren't God's best for your life. See, the pruning is the Word of God coming, and it can actually be joyful if we understand His heart. That's why it's so important that we are connected to the vine, that we are rooted in the love of God, that the love of God is flowing through us, that the love of God is how we view God, that's the lens that we see Him through, is as a loving Father. And that's why He went through so much length to tell you. It goes so far as to tell you, don't even call your earthly father, Father. Now, was He saying that you can't say you have a dad? No. He was just meaning don't attach a significance to him that belongs to God alone. Because he might let you down. He might not be perfect. He might fail you. But your real father, the one who loves you more than anything, the one who created you, will never do any of that. And if you view him the way you view your earthly father, things will get mixed up. There's trouble right here in these front two rows today. I'm just kidding. Hey, listen, do not worry. I promise you. It's, it's, it's fine. He's amening louder than most people in here. Why are you taking him out? My biggest fan is being carried out. And I'm helpless to stop it. Right? 
Pray then this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus wants to teach us to pray to God. And what does he say? He doesn't say, oh, holy creator. He doesn't say almighty. He doesn't say any of those words. He says, when you pray, pray like this, our Father, our Father. Jesus is saying, my Father and your Father, our Father. See, so much of our, our problems and our and our, our fears and, and our failings and our shortcomings and our insecurities go away if we just read the Word and understand that Jesus is speaking these things as much to you and me as He was to the twelve that were in front of Him. And it wasn't just for them. That when He said, pray this way, our Father, He was saying to you, He was saying to me, pray like this, our Father, my Father. Who's in heaven? Why does he say who's in heaven? We all know God's in heaven because it's reminding us of who our Father is and where he sits and where he dwells, how holy he is. Because if we understand that, a lot of the things that we were going to pray about probably disappear before we even get to them. Think about it. You've just acknowledged that the God who is in heaven, who is the creator of the universe, who is holy, whose name is holy, is your Father. What were you going to say? What was such a big deal? Right? Like, what was so bad? What did someone do so horribly? What was so fearful? What was going to make you fall on your knees and pray in the first place? A lot of that stuff disappears in the knowledge of who your Father is. How holy He is. And just who He is. And yet, you might start out in fear and prayer and you might end up just on your knees worshiping Him. As the revelation of who He is comes in. Isaiah 63, 16, For you are our Father, through, though Abraham does not know us, and Israel does not recognize us. You, O Lord, are our Father, our Redeemer from of old is your name. I mean, just over and over and over and over again, the Word comes and prunes, cleanses, makes pure, makes clean these thoughts and attitudes that we have of being no good and worthless. We actually have to fight against it. And fight against what the Word says. There's another one. See, he picked up where the other one left off. That's my little nephew. Yeah. So a lot of us lately have been pruned. Let me just give us another example. By God, by the revelation that we really are holy and righteous. But so many people come and tell me, man, the, the teaching for the last couple of months has really changed the way I think about myself and the way I think about other people. It's really solidified some things. It's really removed some things from my life that were, that were there that I realized weren't supposed to be there. And, and, and th- this word comes and it cuts years of bad teaching, bad thinking, bad theology, abuse of the Word of God to try to keep us under thumb and try to make you feel like something that you're not. And it comes and it cuts it out, but it doesn't come and just leave you. That's the great thing about being pruned by God. When we prune a plant, we leave it the way we cut it, right? We don't add something to it. We leave it cut the way it is and, and, and hope, like me, like I pruned my crepe myrtles this year a little bit late, right? And I, I committed crepe murder. I, I had these beautiful crepe myrtles. And, and I decided this year I was going to prune them because my neighbor was complaining. They were blocking his view of the mountains. And he's a really nice guy. And I thought, you know what? I'll prune it down a little bit. It'll lower the height of the canopy. He'll be able to see. And so I went out there a little bit late because I told him. I said, you know what? Okay, this season I'll prune them things. And it was getting close to the growing season. And I realized I hadn't pruned them yet. And I told him I would. And I want to be a man of my word. So I got out the ladder. My wife said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm just going to prune these things. And I started cutting. 
And by the time I was done, I had taken a plant, you know, and, and reduced it by about 50%. And I had just these big, fat, thick stalks there. And then I started praying, oh, God, don't let this thing die. <laughs> and then the growing season starts, and the other crepe myrtles in the yard start putting forth these beautiful roots, I mean, these beautiful blooms. And then they start flowering. And I'm driving around, and everywhere I go, I'm looking at crepe myrtles, and I'm looking to see if they're blooming or not, right? And I see some that look about the size of mine, and they're already shooting sprouts, and I'm like, I killed them. Right? Because all I could do was chop. I don't have the ability to add something. I don't have the ability to put something there. I don't have what it takes to make those things grow. I'm not capable of that. All I can do is hope that I give enough to the soil that it sucks it up and it produces what the plant needs so that it will in time flower. And eventually it did. He does love me. (laughs) My prayers were answered. He loves me. Right? That's funny, but it's the truth. A lot of us live our lives that way. Something doesn't go the way we want it to. We start doubting whether he loves us or not. Well, that's to be determined. (laughs) I'll let you know after this growing season's over. Because they started growing late. So they haven't quite caught up to where they were before. But I think they will. I believe that they will. There is life there. Yes. The amazing thing about God pruning us is that as he comes and he cuts away what's not supposed to be there, he adds what is supposed to be there instantly he doesn't leave you there left alone if you just read the word because everything the word cuts out it also gives a promise right so he comes along and he doesn't just say no 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 you're not unholy you're not unrighteous you're not filthy wretches that's not who you are he doesn't just say that and then leave you there trying to hold on to that he actually gives you his written word that says first peter 2 9 but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. This is talking to God's people. You're part of a holy nation. How can a bunch of unholy, unrighteous sinners make a holy nation? Right? You, you can't take a whole bunch of white pixie sticks and gather them together in a bunch and make black pixie sticks. It just doesn't work. The whole is made up of the parts. And no matter what the whole we want it to look like, it will look like the the parts that it's assembled from. So if we are a holy nation, then it stands to reason there has to be some holy people making up this holy nation. If we're a chosen race, there has to be chosen people making up this race. If we're a royal priesthood, there has to be royalty that's filling this priesthood. And it's not just one, not just few, not just some. This is for God's people in entirety. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. He wants you to know that you're righteous in Him. He wants you to know that so badly. Why? Because if you understand that you are righteous, it's a whole lot easier to act righteous. It's a whole lot easier to be righteous. Tell your kids they're amazing and they can do anything and watch when your kids are amazing and can do anything. Tell your kids they're smart. Tell them they're funny. Tell them that, 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 that they're lovable, that people like them, that they're amazing. Tell them all these things. Tell them all these good things and then watch them go into life and be those things. Tell them they're talented. Tell them that they're capable of doing everything that God's called them to do because He's given them the power to do it and watch them go through life fearless because they're sure that if God's called them to do it, they have the power to do it. Or tell them that they're useless, no good, unworthy, that no one's ever going to like them, that they'll never amount to anything that they're a pain, that they're a chore, that they're a mistake. Watch them live their lives like that until at some point, hopefully, somebody comes along and tells them the truth. 
So many of us lived our lives that way because you were told you're unholy, you're unrighteous, you're a wretch, and you're all these things, and it was the expectation of your life that you would live that way. And then along comes the Word of God, and it starts to prune. It doesn't leave you miserable. It doesn't leave you in limbo. It doesn't leave you wondering, well, if I'm, if I'm not an unrighteous, unholy wretch, then what I am I? It's, it comes, and not only does it cut what's not supposed to be there, but it plants what He does intend to be there so that it will produce fruit. It's always about making you more like Christ. It's always about making you more fruitful. It's never about hurting you and damaging you just to leave you there hurt and damaged. And yeah, the truth is, is that sometimes it does hurt a little bit, right? It, it, it does. Like Sometimes, like, well, here, think about this, okay? See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we would be called children of God and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. If your father, if Jesus, I mean, if, if the word of God, if John was writing here that you, the greatest honor and the greatest measure of his love for us is that we would be called children of God and such we are. If your father is God, and you're a child of his. That attacks that whole orphan mentality. It attacks that whole no good, unrighteous, unworthy thing. We talked about what God has cleansed. Let no man call unholy. Guess what word he used there for cleanse? It's the same one he said to the disciples when he said, you've been cleansed by the word that's been spoken to you. It means clean, pure, cleansed. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse. Guess what word is used there? It's that same word, us, of all unrighteousness. He said that if we would come before Him and acknowledge our state, that we are sinners, that we've fallen short of the glory of God, and that we need a Savior, He is faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And what God has cleansed, let no man call unholy. Never sit underneath a teacher that tells you you're unholy if you've been cleansed by God. Never sit underneath an enemy that tells you you're unholy if you've been cleansed by God. And never allow your own mind to tell you you're unholy if you've been cleansed by God because God himself spoke it and said what God has cleansed, let no man call unholy. That was like some of the firmest language he ever used in the audible voice when he spoke from heaven. It was the same way when he announced, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. In that same tone, he said what God has cleansed, let no man call unholy. Those two verses right there will prune a ton out of your life. As you understand that this is God's Word, that this is Him speaking, that, you, that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to cleanse us of what unrighteousness? The stuff that we confessed? No, no, He didn't stop there. He said, of all unrighteousness. In other words, Jesus died long before you committed the sins, and the righteousness that we receive pre- goes way before those sins were committed. And just because you, make, you commit a sin once you've been born again, it doesn't change your standing in God's eyes because it's not based on works anymore. It's based on grace and faith and the obedience of Jesus. And so you don't have to run to him and feel like you're dirty just because you've done something. That doesn't change who you are. Your good works couldn't make you clean. It's not double jeopardy with God. It's not your good works can't make you clean, but your bad works can make you dirty. That's not the way it works with him. Your righteousness is not because of your own actions. It wasn't earned by your own actions, and it's not lost by that. Your justification and your righteousness and your holiness is because of your position in him. Believe that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Why did he want us to believe that? Because if you believe that, when the enemy comes and tells you lies, when bad theology comes and tells you lies, you don't believe that because you believe the truth. Then you know the truth and the truth sets you free. 
That's the pruning that God desires for us, is that the Word would come and cut and sever the junk that we've accumulated in our lives, whether it's lies that we've, lives that, lies that we've believed about God and who He is, whether it's, it, it could be habits and relationships, you guys. And that's why sometimes it hurts, right? Because sometimes we resist the truth. Because it means something that we've based our lives or even maybe even found our identity on has to go. And so we resist the truth. We don't want to accept the truth even though we know it's the truth. And that's when pruning becomes really painful and it hurts because God won't stop. He's not okay with you just staying there. He wants you to be more like Jesus. And the knife's not going to go away. It's just going to keep slicing and slicing and you keep trying to hide and protect and you keep trying to run rather than just accepting what God's wanting to give. Right? Sometimes we like the stuff that He wants to remove. Sometimes we kind of enjoy it. Right? We have relationships, habits, hobbies, things, stuff, experiences, stories, beliefs. We want to hold on to them, even though we feel God slicing away with the truth. Because if I give that up, then that no longer gives me the right to be this or be that. I want to be a victim. Because if I'm a victim, then I have an excuse. Then I can live my life this way. And anytime something goes wrong, I can blame what was done to me rather than myself. And every time something happens, I can have another story to tell. I want to be a victim. I don't want to be rescued. God comes and says, listen, I didn't send my son to die on a cross so that you could live as a victim for the rest of your life. I sent my son to die on a cross so that you could overcome. But if I give that up, then I don't have any excuse. You don't have any excuse anyways. The Bible already says you're without one. See, the Word of God's already pruned that. You start trying to run out that branch and you realize it's already been cut off. (laughs) But I won't have an excuse. That's okay. I already pruned that branch. I already told you that you're without excuse. So head back down the branch, find a different why, and then you come to another dead end and you realize that everywhere you would try to run, the word of God's already cut it off. Right? Yeah, but see, yeah, but you don't understand. I am, I am, I am a sinner because I, I did these things wrong and I know that it makes me unrighteous and unholy. Oh, sorry, God already pruned that because Paul, when he writes the letter to the church at Corinth, says to the saints at the church at Corinth, and then he starts talking about all the sin going on there. He didn't say to the filthy wretches at Corinth and then talk about the sin that's going on there. He said to the saints at Corinth, and then he starts asking them, why are you living this way when that's not who you are? He says, why are you acting like mere humans? In other words, the way that you're living is not who you really are. You're acting like something you're not. That's what an actor is. An actor is somebody who acts like something that they're not. Portrays something that they're not. And when he talks to them, he doesn't say, if that's who they were, were filthy, wretched sinners, it wouldn't be weird for them to be filthy, wretched sinners. They wouldn't be acting like anything. They'd just be being who they are. And he wouldn't even question it. But he says to them, why? There's jealousy, there's envy, there's strife, there's all this stuff going on. Why, why are you acting like mere humans? In other words, why are you acting like the people that you were before the Spirit of the living God came and started living inside of you? That's not who you are anymore. Now you have to act to do those things. 
When you go home at night, you lay down in bed, you're a righteous son of God. It's like if you get hired to act and you're acting in an in a old medieval play. During the day, all day long, it's the thou and, and you, you dress in funny stuff and tights and you wear a crown and you have a sword. But when you go home at night, you take all that stuff off and you lay in bed. You're a normal 21st century human being because that's who you truly are. It's when you get up in the morning and you do something that you're not, that you're acting. Well, when you, when you do things like have envy and jealousy and striving and all the different sins that Paul lists that are going on. Some of them he says are even too bad to even mention that, that a son's sleeping with his mother-in-law and all these different things, right? And he says to them, why, why are you guys acting like mere humans? Why are you guys acting like something that you're not? That's not who you are anymore. He says, all these things won't inherit the kingdom of God. Murderers, liars, thieves, adulterers, gluttons, homosexuals, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Such were some of you. In other words, even though that stuff's going on in the church, it's no longer who you were, who you are. That's who you were. So why are you now acting like that? Why would you go back to living the way that you did before you became born again? That's what you were. That's not who you are. There's a big difference in who you were and who you are. And if you understand how great that divide is, it's not a little difference. It's not just a little, well, you know, I was okay and then God came and made me a little more okay. No, it's I once was blind, but now I see. I was lost and now I'm found. I was dead, but now I'm alive. The parallel is as wide as you can get. The chasm is is huge. So why would you want to jump back over and start living on that side again when that's not who you are anymore? Why would you act like a mere human? See, the Word of God comes and it prunes. Well, I'm only human. No, you're not. When people say that, well, I mean, it's only human. No, well, that, the problem is, is that excuse doesn't work for you. I told you, you're without excuse. So when you try to come up with one, remember, that verse already eliminated it. And then if you have, still have one in your mind that you want to throw out there, go ahead. The Word of God will cut that off too. Well, you know, we're only human. No, you're not. Paul says, why are you acting like mere humans? You were citizens of one kingdom. He made you citizens of others. He said, your citizenship is now in heaven. No, it is. You can act like it's not, but if you're born again, it is. Well, then this sermon doesn't apply to you. (laughs) Because I'm only saying this stuff to people who are born again. If you're not born again, then you are the things he's describing. But if you're born again, then while you're acting like you're not, you're merely acting. The best you could do before was act like a good person. Now that you're born again, the worst you can do is act like you're not. Think about it. The best that you could do was for a time act like you were holy and righteous. But it was an act. Now that you're born again, the worst you can do is act like you're not. It's just an act. It's not who you truly are. And the Word of God comes and it prunes and it cuts. I didn't even get to the second half of my message, so that'll be next week's. Because I want to talk about the whole, if any branch in me doesn't bear fruit, then he's cut, it's cut off and it's cast away and all that stuff, because that scares some people, and I want to just clear that up. And it's really simple if you just keep reading. But we're going to close up there for today. But, but I just want to ask this, and I'm going to ask our prayer team to come up, and I'm going to close up with this. But if, if you're struggling with something, if there's something in your life that God has been trying to prune and you know it because over and over and over again, the knife of God has come, the Word of God has come, the sword of God has come, and, and you know it's something that He does not want in your life and, and you, you, you've been afraid to give it up or your identity's been found in it or your, your victim mentality or the way that you live, everything has been wrapped up in this stuff and you've been afraid to give it up but you know that He wants you to. I just want to ask if you would come forward after we close up here and let let someone pray for you.
and just release that to Him because I promise you, He's only trying to take that away to make room for something better. It's not to hurt you and leave you abandoned and leave you empty. It's so that the junk that's taking up space can be removed so that the good can come in. It's the old wine going out so the new wine can come. You don't want to mix the two. God's not interested in mixing. He said, what does Christ have to do with Baal? What does light have to do with darkness? He's not interested in mixing. He doesn't want gray people walking around. He wants to take the black and give the light. He wants to take the darkness. He doesn't want shade there. He doesn't want anything. He wants pure light. He wants everywhere you look, every motive, every intention of the heart to be pure and clean. Everything gone that's not of Him so that everything that is of Him can come and take its place. So we're going to close up. and I'm just going to ask, you know, if you want to say what it is, that's fine. If you don't, you know, if it's something that you don't feel like you can, you, don't, you want to talk to somebody about out here, that's fine too. But at least let someone pray for you and speak God's Word over you. God, I thank you for who you are. We've got to thank you that you're never okay to just leave us as we are and that though we may be afraid of it, God, we always come out more beautiful, more like you emptied of stuff that doesn't belong so we can be filled by stuff that you desire for us, God. God, I ask if there's anyone in here that's struggling, that's holding on, maybe the thing that you're trying to take is something that we really like, that we really enjoy. God, but we know that you're asking us to give it up. God, maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's an identity. Maybe it's an excuse. Maybe it's a habit. God, whatever it is, that if it's something that you've been pulling at, if it's something that you've been cutting at, that today we would surrender that over, God, that you could take that from us and that you can give us what it is that you desire to give. And that, yeah, it may be hard at first and it may hurt a little at first, God, but we know that you're working all things to our good because we do love you and we are called according to your purpose. So God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the way you love us so much, God, that even in the pruning, you want there to be joy. So you tell us how good you are, God, and how good your thoughts are towards us, how good your plans are for our lives. So that even if it looks scary, we understand that the worst in case scenario I'll end up is with the thing that I'm giving up, God, but that there's every chance and that it's going to be even better. We would never mourn for the things that are gone, God. We would always have more excitement for the things that are coming. I thank you for that. I said just to bless these people, God, this body of believers, my family, my home, their family, their home, God, with your peace, with your joy, with your love, flowing through as we remain connected to you, the divine, and we bear fruit that the world would taste and see how good you are, God. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.